Welcome to the Gill Athletics Connections podcast, the number one track coach focused podcast in the world. From time to time, we like to bring you rebroadcasted value added podcast episodes, some little bonus material, if you will, in between our awesome interviews from coaches around the world. This is just great friends of ours, the Athletics LLC, hosted by Marissa Chu, featuring Mouse Holloway, Chris Huffins, and Charles Ryan. This is a great gang. They operate on YouTube on Friday nights. You got to go be subscribed. We're so blessed that they would let us give you the audio version. So without further ado, Athletics LLC. You are tuned in. To Athletics Double LC yeah, 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 yeah. with Lamar, uh-huh. Lucius, uh-huh. Big League Chew, him yeah. my man Clyde. <laughs> you are about to be schooled in all things track and field. This is experience. Yes, sir. We are talking past, past present, present, future. future. Y'all listen up. Let's go. Hello, everyone. Welcome back for another episode of Athletics LLC. Woo wee! We got a week. We had a week. There's, there's a lot of this and a lot of that, a lot of this and the, oh my gosh. So we are excited to get this night started. Um, before we get, before I allow, I'm going to say that out loud, before I allow the gentleman to talk, um, we're going to, we're going to set something straight. Uh, thanks to our lovely viewers, their contributions help set us straight and we have some corrections to make. So please, if you ever hear us misspeak anything, don't hesitate to let one of us know. Um, this just happened to be all shot at Mr. Huffins here. So we'll go ahead and let him take all of these in the gut. So, um, first off, um, as to the comment about Eddie Hart and Ray Robinson, uh, it was said that they missed their first round races. And in fact, it was their quarterfinal races. So difference, um, also that Valerie Borzov was the winner of the 100 and 200 uh, meter race, not Alan Wells. And for points of clarification, we've got Marquise Goodwin's PRs. Uh, legal for the 100 is 10.38. Windy, we've got 10.24. Um, in his 200 meter races, we've got 21.57 and then 21.24 windy. In comparison to, because the name was thrown out last week, Tyreek Hill, who has a legal 100 meter time of 1019. Um, we will make note of this windy PB because um, it is like hurricane, tornado, alley, <laughs> windy 5.0. Holy crap. Uh, that might as well have just been downhill, like down Lombard Street or something. Uh, 9.98 windy. Uh, and then a 20.14 in the two. So those are just points of clarification, a little bit of a correction. Um, basically, Lamar, get it right before you open your mouth next time. Thanks. <laughs> for, for the record, Alan Wells won in 1980. Yes. Yes. But, okay. So with all that said and done, let me go ahead and make sure you all know who these other tiles are on the screen. We have Mr. Clyde. Oh no, who's frozen? <laughs> Just kidding, so timely. Well, Mr. Clyde is here with us. Uh, Lucius. Good 
evening, morning, whatever time you're watching this. Hello, everybody. Got it. And then Lamar saved Clemson men's track Huffins. Whew. So uh, we'll go ahead and just keep that, that breath a rolling. And let's just talk about it. Let's talk about Clemson men's track and field and cross country. We can't just say track, it's cross country as well. Um, the all three programs being cut and done away with after this season, uh, who'd like to get us started? Person who has the most direct ties to this deserves the floor as a former employee of this university. Uh, Lamar, you got it. I'm gonna sit back and get some popcorn for this one. Um, what's the question that I'm supposed to answer? I mean, oh, literally, I say Clemson, you say sucks. Um, <laughs> I listen, we have mentioned on this show a number of times, both, both, both in veiled ways and in direct ways that the COVID pandemic and all of its real problems is actually being used by athletic directors and athletic departments to make cuts, make changes and move money around and move people around that they've wanted to do for years and just didn't want to take the backlash for doing so. Let's call it clear. Without COVID, if you cut men's track and field at Clemson University, literally the backlash might get you fired. So by all means, wait until you have this supposed $25 million shortfall because your 87,000 stadium foot, I mean, 87,000 seat stadium that's been sold out for 30 years straight, just about because it can't be full this year, all of a sudden we cry poor. We won't talk about your hundred and something million dollar football uh, playland that you built that has what a lazy river, nap rooms and a barber shop. Um, we won't talk about the highest paid football coach in the entire country or the highest paid football staff in the entire country or the fact that if, if that same staff all took a 15% pay cut that would save you more money than the supposed $2 million that you're going to save, which I don't understand how you save $2 million by cutting one gender. So you're cutting the program in half and the program spends 2.6 million. I'm not a genius, but I don't know how you, how you save 2 million by cutting three of the six teams. But what do I know? Um, but at the end of the day, you know, look, you, they can they can continue to produce this funny math and do all these things that they really want. But at the end of the day, there are all kinds of other things afoot here. Um, I, I think some of them fall on borderline racist stances. I know for sure that it is uh, severe uh, an attack on Olympic sports. And, and, and uh, I think Clyde said it best that America likes ball sports because they can sell tickets and they swear to God they can't sell tickets to track meets, which makes no sense because they built an indoor for track and field facility 
and then don't sell tickets. The track and facility, field facility indoors is full all the time, but they don't sell tickets. So I, I just, I'm disgusted by the fact that the number one football team in the entire country, who also is the industry leader in alumni giving, IPTE is the best alumni giving arm in the country that that school has the nerve, temerity, audacity, and gall to think that we are all stupid enough to believe that they cut men's track and field and their $2 million that they're going to throw at this $25 million deficit. And that was the answer. Well, so I, I think it's ridiculous. I, I'm sure we're just getting started uh, with this, um, but but let let let's be let's be really clear about something. We have said when we were discussing other programs and their cuts that none of us believe it's ultimately a financial issue. Some people, you know, could argue that I guess to a certain extent, it's undeniable that this has nothing to do with finances at Clemson for all the reasons that Lamar just laid out, but also including this one, um, the Clemson track and field program makes money. They've been making money consistently for at least 10 years. Last year, according to their own data, which is, you know, the EDA reports are out there, they made seven, they netted $700,000 last year. So it's not a financial fix. That doesn't make any sense. Um, I don't know, there, there's something that uh, is, is clearly going on. We all see that, that our sport in particular, Olympic sports in general are under siege. And I don't really understand why <clears throat> men's track and field take so many of these bullets. Um, Title IX is not an excuse. There, there is a, a swath of people out there in, in, in the ether that believe this narrative that it could be a Title IX issue. It's not a Title IX issue. If, if you cared about the Title IX issue, you would do better increasing women's sports numbers. You don't have to take opportunities away from men to, to settle that. Um, the race thing is big, but I don't know anybody you know, in, in a position there to speak to that. What I do know is fundamentally, it's not a financial issue. So as I said, with the, with the Minnesota situation and, for, and to the point since that time, Minnesota has reversed its course in, in that whole thing and have landed somewhere better than they were just taking a program away. Maybe Clemson will ultimately do the same thing, but I feel like they won't. I, I feel like a program that big with that many eyes on it with the history that it has, I think that they know exactly what they were doing. I believe that this is something that they wanted to do for a while. I definitely under believe that they're using the COVID situation to, to get that done. And it just it's just a cowardly thing to do. And for me, I, I, don't, I don't think I could respect the decision at all, but at least have the intestinal fortitude to stand up in front of a microphone, in front of a camera, and just be real. Like if you hate the sport, 
and say you hate the sport. If you just want to dump more money in, in, into, the, into the football world, then just do that. If you need more slides in the building, whatever. Like, just own it. it I, I, you know, I, I'd at least be able to take it better. But I, I don't appreciate when people insult my intelligence and the announcement and the excuses that have been coming out of that place for this decision is cowardly and untrue. And it's insulting to anybody who even remotely pays attention to these issues. Like their financial numbers are Googleable. Like you can look them up. So it's it's absolutely ridiculous. And you know, obviously for me, it all it always boils down to the athletes. I feel you know sick for those people. The athletes don't deserve to be treated that way. The coaching staff doesn't deserve to be treated that way. And at the end of the day because they probably don't want any you know, lawsuits, I'm sure they'll find a way to pay the coaches the salaries that they're contracted for. So at the end of the day, it's the kids that really get burned. Like they chose to be at Clemson for a reason. That was, their, that was where they wanted to be. And now they, what, they're gonna go in the portal. They gotta go back through a recruiting process. They, you know, like, yeah, they'll, they'll land somewhere, but they obviously wanted to be there. And, and I can't see any rational reason why they shouldn't be allowed to be there. It, it's sickening, it's wrong, it's cowardly. And, you know, it's, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, man, mess, messy. Um, I, I think for me, I just don't, like, why now? It's November. And what did we figure out between August, to now that made us figure out that all of a sudden men's track and field across country is a problem. Um, I mentioned this term before, COVID courage. And you know, this pandemic has given us the, the courage to do things that you know, I think people wanted to do anyway, as Clyde mentioned. Um, the financial numbers don't back any of this up. Um, I, I just think that even the whole way it, you know, supposedly the timeline, um, Bigley, can you read the timeline that I sent you? Yeah. It was starting at noon. The coaches were informed that the program was discontinued. At 1.45, the student athletes were then informed about the uh, discontinuing of the program. At 2.41, uh, there's a press release announced. And then at 4 p.m., um, there was a press conference via Zoom with the AD. So in a four-hour period, you just clean this late. And we go on with your life, but now you've got this group of people that have been greatly impacted and how do they go on with theirs? Um, you've got this group of young men that are now challenged with, do I stay here and even run for this year? You know, um, you've got a group of women and you know, we have, we're all, you know, been part of combined programs and even separate programs, those teams are close. So this decision, even though it doesn't impact the women, the way it impacts the men, it does impact them from a, uh, emotional standpoint and how, you know, they got friends of theirs who are either going to go away now or definitely going to go away in June. Now, the university has come out and said that they're going to pay the coaches to the end of the year. Um, street people, the, the street talk is that all the coaches are in their last year of their contract. So that, that makes us suspect as, you know, who's going to be back. Um, any athlete that's on scholarship will that scholarship will be honored until the end of their graduation. You know, so 
that that is there if they just want to stay at Clemson. But as Clyde said, they want to run for Clemson. They came here to be a Clemson Tiger and compete in the orange and white. Um, you know, I, I found the the two million dollar number just didn't make sense to me because cutting the track and field program, your savings from the track and field program for one year will take you five years accumulation of that said cancellation to pay your football coach for one year. That's, that's just that's just interesting for me. Um, I know, like Clyde spoke to, you know, the whole Title IX thing, Title IX can't be an issue. If it was an issue, then they would have cut it a long time ago. You know, I just, that doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. So, you know, men's track and field is the, you know, the second largest men's sport on campus, no doubt, right? And usually it's the third largest sport on campus period because there's usually a few less men than they're all women. But I just don't, the, the whole conversation makes no sense. Um, I think the biggest thing that I got out of this was, you know, Clyde, you said that, you know, hopefully they'll reinstate. The AD made it clear in his statement. Basically, thanks, but no thanks. You know, thank you for all your fundraising efforts ahead of time, but this decision is final. Yeah. So um, I don't see that there's any recourse. And I mean, look, that's his, that's his, his job. That's his athletics association. If that's what he wants to do, Okay, I'd, I'd respect the decision a lot more if, I, if the, the, the conversation was I just don't want to have track and field here anymore. Right. Wouldn't like it, but I would respect it more than $2 million is, you know. And maybe, you know, I, look, I don't work there, but when, you're, when your books are public, it's, it's, hard to, <laughs> it's hard to make that make that an issue, right? It's hard. There's, Vince Anderson said something to me um, that I found very, very apropos. There is a cultural issue going on here within the sports. And, and I don't think it's a racial cultural issue. It's a sport cultural issue. Football culture hates our sport. They like to borrow from it. They like to steal from it. They like to take our training ideas and claim it to be their own and make millions and millions of dollars from it. But at the end of the day, the whole narrative that, that's been around forever is like, you know, football players can run track, but track athletes can't play football. But the truth of the matter is that's actually reversed. Because everybody who's amazing at football seems to have a track background when it comes to, you know, the, uh, the quote unquote athletic positions. And I don't know anybody in, in the NFL, as we discussed last week, that can run and do what we do at an elite level. So to me, there, there's just a, a part, there's just a segment of our population that just really dislikes our sport. And it seems that it's very easy and very convenient to take shots at us. Um, one, and, and, and Lamar, I know you'll remember this. And again, this is this is this is from the brain of VA who who pointed this out. And I do remember I remember this when he said it. When Ashton Eaton broke the world record in, in the decathlon, it was on Sports Center. It was number 10. Number, number nine. 10. Number nine was a female in the stands catching a fly ball. Now, 
what's crazy and what I said back to him was, I absolutely remember that. And what I remember was half the track community praising the fact that we made Sports Center, not realizing how insulted we just were by putting it number 10 and behind that specific choice. So there's a, there's a lot of people in the hierarchy of sport in this nation that just constantly disrespect what it is we do, what it is our athletes do. And because we don't make enough noise about it, stuff like this is allowed to, you know, to happen. And don't get it twisted. <clears throat> if it can happen at Clemson, <laughs> it can happen anywhere. It can literally happen, it can happen anywhere. And so I, I think a lot of people in our profession live under the false idea that if I can just make it to the elite level, coaching wise, if I can just get into the power five, my job is good. Clearly that is not the case. <laughs> not, if, not, if you're, not if your job is coaching men's track and field. Maybe you're safe with the women, maybe, but with the men, you're not. And I don't know what the solution is. I'm, I'm a solutions guy. I like to have ideas of progress and solutions, but I don't really have one here. All I know is that it's ugly and completely unnecessary, completely unnecessary. I, I don't have a problem with the idea of capitalism. I don't have a problem with the idea of market rate for coaches. I don't care that Dabo Sweeney gets paid 9 million a year until you program and call it a money issue. There's no reason for that. So I don't know, but, but it's wrong. It's just wrong. Yeah, we, we talk about fiscal re responsibility a lot. And again, you know, we're talking about a group of six coaches whose lives just got turned upside down. Um, who are now going to be pushing the panic button for the next eight months, trying to figure out what's going on with their lives. You're talking about a group of 40 to 50 guys who are in the same situation, all because somebody was fiscally irres irresponsible. That's all it comes down to. And then again, it goes back to, instead of just eliminating something, let's find a way to be more responsible. You know, like, did we ever think about cutting back someplace else or cutting back a lot of places so that nothing has to go away. When you talk about wanting to fix something, that, that's, my, that's my thought right there. If, we're, if we really think that we need to save money, why do we attack one, one small faction of the whole athletic association? Why do we attack the whole problem? Because the problem isn't men's track and field. That's not where the big money grab is going on. So my thing would be, why didn't we think about trimming the fat amongst everyone so that then everyone could continue to do the jobs that they're doing, enjoy the educational and athletic um, experience that they're experiencing. That's how I think you solve the problem. You don't attack the, the people that have no defense. And that's what they do. But, but that's like, to me, that's where the, where the fallacy and excuse my language audience, that's where the bullshit is, is that it was never about like, we are a family and we got to solve whatever financial issues we have. Like, 
I want to read this. It says, in our long-term planning, we looked at the changing demographics of the Clemson campus, of Clemson's men's sports, only men's track and field and cross country could provide the department with both substantial cost savings, as well as the ability for long-term Title IX compliance. They just added softball two years ago. They are in no parts of Title IX compliance jeopardy. So, like, at the end of the day, this is all, let me throw some words out there, and the average person isn't going to read them, but this is a CYA. It's absolute horse manure. They wanted to cut men's track, so they did. And they didn't have the stones to just say so. Because here's the newsflash, folks. If it wasn't for Title IX compliance, if there was no, if there was another female sport they could add, they would have cut track altogether. Because that's the truth. So, our sport is our sport is being hunted, and I said this when when Minnesota happened, and I'm going to keep saying it: the sport of track and field is being hunted. Do you? Lamar, since you did work there, do, do you feel that this example is going to provide the courage, ironically, courage for other programs to follow suit in the Power Five? I, I don't think that. I know that. Because, look, every single athletic director in the entire country just got an excuse. If Clem, look, so here's something that, that Lucius knows that nobody else knows because I told him that I did this. As soon as this came out, I sent that article, that letter to a high ranking official in the NCAA that I know, not gonna give names. Their response was, I just saw that. You mean to tell me that Clemson can't afford men's track? Get the F out of here. So even the people at the NCAA know that this is hogwash. You're never going to be able to piss on my head and tell me it's raining. Look, stand up and say you don't want to have the sport on campus for whatever reasons there are and take the backlash for that. But don't cut the sport as deeply as you can cut it because trust me, if they could cut both genders, they would. And I think that that's obvious. Big League, do you have the the tweet that was attributed to US, US 3CA? Uh, I do. Well, there was one that US TCA put out as well as one that Sam put out on his personal, which Read I thought- both. Read them both. Yeah. It is. Sorry, give me just a moment to get there. I, because I know what these say, I just want y'all to see, this is the most visceral Birdman hand rub I've had on this show. Because <laughs> I know what's coming and, and this candle's about to get lit. Well, and so I remember this now, Vin also put out a statement. Oh, wow, I didn't see that one. Yeah, so I'll read, I just went across yeah. it. So he, he wrote, wow, what a dubious decision by Clemson for eliminating educational opportunities for men's track and field student athletes. What do the other student athletes at Clemson think about this decision? That's what Vin wrote? 
Yep. And then well, I'm getting there, sorry. Well, while she's getting there, the answer to, to that question is they don't care. <laughs> not, not in any tangible way that, that, that matters because if they did, they could have done something about that. But again, you know, they, we all live in our own bubbles. And from the athlete's standpoint, three months ago, we were all united, right? The minute they let everybody start to play football, that unity disappeared real fast, didn't it? Well, and so I wonder, this is what I was going to bring up, you know, with uh, the William and Mary crew, how the young ladies stood up and said, we won't compete without our men. You know, one, will the Clemson ladies do that too? Will they be heard? You know, and obviously, Adi Radovich said he wouldn't hear that anyways, but, you know, here people are already having a, a GoFundMe, there's a change.org already out to save it. So, you know, people are making the notions regardless of what his words were put out already. Um, but you gotta, you, you do have to kind of wonder who will take the stance and, you know, who's gonna quote unquote, have the balls, have the tits to do it, you know? Um, sure, and, and, let me, and let me be clear, cause it could come off misconstrued. I'm sure the women's track team cares. Yeah. The football team don't care. The basketball team don't care. That's who don't care. Yeah. <laughs> They're not going to do anything about it. I'm sure. Right. And the, the, the women's track team's probably like, I mean, we could say that, but <laughs> they're going to tell us what. Like, the women's track team, the women's track team don't have enough power to, to move that needle. Um, so Sam's, wow, Sam's tweet on his personal page reads, racism is alive at Clemson University. As white president Clements oversees Clemson Tigers athletic department plantation, they make sure black athletes perform, parentheses work, on Saturdays to produce revenue, but don't support black male opportunities otherwise. And there it is. There So I thought it that was is. a big one. Well said, sir. Well said. If you can't bounce a ball or catch a ball or throw a ball, they're not really that concerned about you or what happens to your life. And, 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 while, and while we're on that subject matter, like the, the, the whole pandemic issue makes this even worse, right? Like, sure, it's pandemic courage as, as Lucius stated, but the flip side of that is every program in the country is currently dealing with the recruiting economic fallout of COVID. So in normal order, if you cut the men's program, there's opportunities for these guys to transfer and get money. But right now, everybody's money is way more strapped than it would be otherwise. So Kid X, who might be on Clemson at Clemson on a very significant, if not a full scholarship, may not be able to find a, a justifiable or equal opportunity somewhere else because people don't have the money. Signing periods next week, money spent. <laughs> like it's it's wrong across the board. And then the funny part is to me, Clyde, what you just mentioned, I think was the trigger for the timing. Sure. Because the signing period is next Wednesday, that's more scholarships you're gonna be on the hook for. Yeah. Because we all know that legally, look, if you got kids signing scholarships, if you got kids on a scholarship on, on if the, if the guys on the men's Clemson team want to graduate, then they're on scholarship. 
if they want to graduate from Clemson, they can stay there. And that whatever that scholarship is, will be honored till they're done. Sure. But that just means their track career is over. Right. Which is wrong. <laughs> but as you said, just, if if they allow people to sign pe- more people next week, that's more people that are on the hook. Right. For. Yeah. right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then what was and the final one? I, I guess the only thing. Yeah, what was the, the well, go ahead. No, because I, I well, there's a it's funny because there not that there isn't a statement, but there's a series of statements. And so that's why I was trying to see as how far did we go back. Um, but even just stating this one here, it says discontinuing one of the best programs in the ACC history, bold strategy Clemson, indoor track and field, and it states its conference championships, how many people were at conference or like their uh conference champions and then does the same for outdoor, and then goes on to state um, the timeline and says, shame on you. Um, It then goes to, uh, where did it go, where did it go? Um, one, One of the bigger ones that I forgot that Sam had actually tweeted it originally and then they retweeted so it was a mismemory in my mind, um, stating Clemson has said it wants to win the war, wants to win the war on increasing diversity among males on campus, but cuts opportunities to one in 30 black African-American males on campus by discontinuing track and field programs. This doesn't add up. So just a lot of things that being said in regards to how one plus one is not equaling two. Um, on the petty side, and I think we all love this, you know, no, no fingers being pointed, they're all pointing at everyone. Um, <laughs> um, you know, USTCCA says, good morning to everyone, except Clemson, AD Dan Radkich, wow, you know what I'm trying to say, I'm getting excited, and Clemson President James Clements. You know, and, you know, that's our, our quote-unquote governing body in regards to, I mean, not the NCAA, but, you know, immediately the track and field world. And, you know, obviously they haven't said anything leading up to this for the prior cuts, but after a while, as we see with Lamar sometimes, there's only so much poking you can do before the the bear wakes up and growls, right? The bear's woken up. And so, you know, does this one, this is, and I apologize, I'm speaking out of line right now, but it's like, how does this one, literally one male who is who is going to be, for lack of a better way, decapitated by the public right now, our, our community for a decision that is that was not well stated at all. There's nothing to support the action or the words that were put in print for everyone to see. So I don't know, it, it's crazy. Um, it's crazy to think that someone, and, and I guess it maybe it isn't because look who just is going to leave the, the office, right? I mean, he won, he did things, and now he's going to leave. I guess it's not that crazy to think that someone can act as as aloof to situations and livelihoods. Like you want to like, know a person's true character, put him in a position of power. Just that simple. It, and it's you know, funny. No, no, one, no one knows what makes anybody tick. 
and I don't know this gentleman. I'm, I'm not taking pot shots at him. I disagree with your decision, but you're the boss and you can do what you want. You know, I just know that we have no recourse to, to that. I just don't think, as you said, this was very well thought out. It was very timely, as Lamar just pointed out. It was very mm -hmm. timely. But I think at the end of the day, for me, you know, I'm a family guy. And so if we're trying to take care of the family, you don't cut people out of it. You find a way. We're in this together. We're going to get through this together. We're going to suffer a little bit together until we get back to where we need to be. That's my take on it. Now, by just totally dismissing and cutting out a program that has not a little bit of history, but a tremendous amount of history at the conference, national, and Olympic levels, it's kind of scary. It is. And I just don't think it was very well thought out. And, and I mean, I'll say it again, for all the people that want to believe the narrative, they make money at Clemson track every single year. It's documented, it's in print, it is easy to find. They make a lot of money compared to every other program in the country. I mean, they got a brand new track and the, and the track is, every single meet is sold out by ways of teams in it, right? They oh, can't put more teams in the meets. It, no. It's a top five facility in the country. It's not even yes. close. Like it, it Absolutely. Is, and just on paper, just to solidify what you're saying, Clyde, the last losing year, the last year they were in the red was 2003 to 2004. Next closest to that was 2009, 2010. In the black, only, only 66,000. See, because nobody wants to talk about the fact that they actually have a fundraising arm that actually works. And so, you know, like, look, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump right in on top of Lucius's analogy because they always talk about family, right? So, look, in a family, if we get into a financial crisis, the belt tightens for everybody. You don't just decide, well, which kid costs the most? All right, you, you gotta leave. Right, <laughs> because that's because that's that's basically what they did. Only you <laughs> with that analogy. Hey, you're the oldest. They you decided you gotta go. <laughs> in theory, they decided. Well, you're the youngest. Hey, you know, and you, you weigh more than everybody else. You eat more yeah. than everybody. you gotta go. Hey, we you're, have, you're in college. The tuition is the highest. We we yeah. we got we got to applaud the family. We we got to applaud applaud Lamar. He could have went way darker with that. He could have done like you know a. Uh, uh, like a Chinese family government. Do not encourage that. Could have went there. Down the river. Down the river. I just thought that that was one. That, I think that's an, an analogy that everybody gets, right? It's like mm -hmm. everybody sells family when it comes to collegiate athletics. Mm -hmm. But then here comes literally the first dark day. And let's be clear, y'all. This is not Northern Iowa football we're talking about. This is Clemson football. If they're too broke to have all the programs they had before COVID, we need to shut the doors of everybody in the country. And I, I would tend to bet and believe that they will pay more money in bonuses oh, in one yes. year Preach. to the football program than it costs. Absolutely. By a lot. 
And then I'm dropping that mic and I'm done. I'm going to say it like this. I have always been and will always be a Clemson football fan regardless. I want them to win the national championship the worst ever this year because all of their bonuses are going to be made public. And when I finish doing that math and we get that narrative painted between that and the savings of the $2 million, which is a lie, but the savings of the $2 million for dropping men's track, trust me and all my mama, that one is going to be publicized somewhere. Don't put it on her. <laughs> I'm going to put it on her. Sandra Gay would agree. We need to call CNN, let them know that this is some boot, Alaldo. All righty then. <laughs> Old enough to like the, to to where I used to watch uh, I Love Lucy, and every time Lucy would do something, uh, her husband would say, "Lucy, you got some explaining to do." That's how I feel about Clemson. They're gonna have to explain and stand and deliver for this one. Oh, all right. Well, a little lighter of a subject, not too much lighter. <laughs> little less opinionated, maybe, I don't know. Um, in regards to coaches' education, you know, what are we missing? What is it missing? Not we. <laughs> what is it missing, coaches' education? And how is it that we grow it? How do we evolve it to where it's more, I don't know if well-rounded is the word, but more complete, maybe? Um, I'll, I'll take a swipe at this one. I've um, been asked this question before, and I personally, I, I I personally feel that USATF and the USTFCCCA, they have separate branches of what we all consider to be coaches' education. Oh, and for the record, Altus. Shout out to Altus. I think all three of those, you know, bodies do a, a very good job teaching aspiring coaches the things that they need to know or should know to get better at their craft. So I don't think the education of it is the issue per se. I think that what one thing that we might be missing, and I know all the, the old heads are going to jump right down my throat on this one. <laughs> if, if you want coaching education to be taken more serious, if you want it to have more standing, then you need to empower it as a standard that everybody has to have. And in our sport, it's not. So the people who care about it, do it. The people who are interested in it, jump in it. But it's not a requirement to get a job. And in other fields in college athletics, you have to have certain certifications to get a job. So I don't know the path to that, but if you want coaching education to be taken more serious, if you want it to have a bigger impact, you need to make it mandatory, necessary to work in this industry. Okay, so I'm not gonna jump down your throat, but I disagree. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure you're surprised that I disagree. Uh, <laughs> I, I, first of all, I mean, why are we going to be different in track and field than, than the other sports? I mean, it's not mandatory you have to take coach education to be a football coach. 
or a basketball coach or a baseball coach. So why are we going to paint ourselves into that, that corner? Um, as far as coaches' education, I mean, I'm going to just be me and speak my mind. I think originally coaches' education that at that level was created as a monetary gain for some folks. Okay, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but that's the way I see it. Um, my, my deal with coaches' education is this, is that most of that paints everybody in the one box. I think it needs to be a little bit more diverse because there are different situations that you come upon. Um, I've, I've sat in some of the classes. I've actually been a part of some of the teaching of the classes. And I think that the big issue for me is I just think it needs to be more diverse. Um, I don't think like, like you wouldn't have one system that everybody has to run in football or one system everybody has to run in basketball or even baseball, I would imagine. So why we have one system everybody needs to run in track. Um, I do think that the big value of the coach's education is for the novice coach who has no freaking clue what they're doing. It gives them some thoughts and ideas that they can build off of. I think that there's some concepts and, and things that they do within that, that if the person will take that information and then grow it. I think that it's a wonderful tool, but I don't think you can take that and make that your complete toolbox. That's the way I would put that. I'm not bashing coaches education at all, but I'm just saying I totally disagree that we have to make it mandatory to be a track coach. Now, let me be clear. I didn't say that I think that should be what should happen. I'm saying if the people who run coaches education want it to be taken more seriously, that's a path that they might want to try to pursue. And I don't I, think that I, I heard you and I, okay. I get it but they don't need to walk down that path because they're going to get bludgeoned. Oh, sure. They absolutely will get bludgeoned. Absolutely. absolutely. That just ain't happening because because here's the thing. And you guys know how hard sport is, okay? Because for every 10 people that buy in the coach's education, there's another 20 that think it's full of crap, right? Sure. No, it's just work. And that's just the nature of our sport because there's too many people in our sport to think they're reinventing the wheel every year. <laughs> they're not but they think they are so at the end of the day oh, i understand what you're saying and i think that for me if people want the people that are involved in coach education want to people to take it more seriously i think they need to present it in different ways to different people they need to make it more diverse so that jack in south carolina and joe up in minnesota find a way to do things within their region I think I just don't I just don't think it's diverse enough for me. But again, if you're smart enough to go sit in those classrooms and get that information and then take it back to where you are and build a system based on what you have before you, everybody needs some baseline education. But I just don't think you can have everybody in the United States doing the same thing. Because then we guys, you know, then we'll be accused of being the Eastern Bloc back in the day, right? <laughs> And don't yeah. you lie, behave yourself. I did not, I did not. <laughs> I was like, who's going with me? Yeah, look, I, I saw your eyes word. get big. I saw your, yeah, but your eyes got big like, oh yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> say a word. <laughs> well, okay, so the question is how, how can we make it better and, and what's missing? And I, it's funny, I, I think that what both of my, my two predecessor colleagues have said is, part and parcel to the whole thing. Like, I think that 
first off, I think the coach's education should be mandatory to coach high school. There you go. Meaning, I think it should be, I think it's a very <laughs> simple thing. Like everyone who coaches a high school track and field athlete should have to do level one. Even if you, if you ran college track, like this is just so that we, that everybody knows, like there is one thing everybody had to do to coach high school track. What I do think should be mandatory is like in, in most other fields, like where you have to basically stay relevant. I think every two years you should be required to, to show cause of some sort of clinic hours. If you, if it's a level two for you, great. If it's a patronage, you know, a pilgrimage across the country to, to Gainesville to, to spend, you know, two hours at one of Lucius's practices, you get clinic hours for that or to one of Clyde's practices or to, Dar to, to, to DA's practice. But the point is everybody should have to show cause to wanting to stay relevant, get better, invest in yourself as a coach so that we can say that you are trying to help be relevant and be better for all of the people that you coach. But to all of that, I would then say along the lines that, that Lucius said is that our sport is the least cookie cutter there is, right? The whole idea that there is a coach's ed means that there is a way to teach a someone to be a track coach. Excuse my language, but that's absolute bullshit. I mean, there's like, there are elite level coaches that, ha that never coached high school or who coached high school for a long time and then college there's there are, there are elite level coaches who started out coaching pros. There are elite level coaches who've never co who who refused to coach pros. Like so, at the end of the day, there is definitely not a cookie cutter to be like, well, this is what an elite coach looks like and what what he or she has done. That's just not true. And so, you know, I think coaches' education has a stronger place at the lowest level because part of the issue we have is every one of us has gotten a a, a group of very talented freshmen. And we complain about what they can't do because we feel there should be a basic level of things that they can do. Like when you get to college, you should already know how to skip. You should already know how to do A skips, B skips, whatever you call them, because not everybody calls them those things. But the point is there's some basics that we all agree that kids should be able to do. And we get kids who've had great marks who can't do these things. Um, but, but as a collegiate and, and certainly as a pro, like I just think that you should be required to work on your craft. But I don't think we should tell people how they do that. And not as a shameless plug, I will say the reason that Coaches Collab has been such a positive breath of fresh air is because that is the general concept of what we're talking about, is to actually like share ideas. Why is this show popular? Because there's three people on this show who don't always agree. And then one person on this show who's smarter than the three of us who keeps the circus moving, right? Because it's a collaboration of ideas. Because in all honesty, the best way to do something is not just to do it Lucius's way or to do it Lamar's way or to do it Clyde's way. It's to get all three of them in a the room, let them argue about it, come out of the room with an idea and then let Chu decide whether that holds water or not. <laughs> See, so and I, and I, and I will speak to this, like I, I when you talk about a collegiate athlete going to coach a high school team, that cl collegiate athlete has just had the best coaching experience of his life. 
So mm-hmm. he would, in my opinion, that athlete doesn't need to go to do coach's education because he just got educated for four years as long as he was paying attention. So, so to that point, it, that's, that's hilarious that you brought that up right then and there. So to that point, <clears throat> when I came out of college and made the decision that I wanted to pursue this thing as a profession, you know, what do you do? You ask people, well, how do I break into this? How do I do this? And half the people told me, you got to go get your certifications. Now, I just graduated. I just walked across the stage with a diploma. So I'm like, well, okay, cool. I understand this concept. I need to go to school to get a diploma so I could be taken serious in my industry. And then there was a smaller percentage of people who were like, you could do that shit if you want to, but nobody cares. And I'm like, well, all right, I probably should do it anyway. And I went to level one. And to the point, I sat in level one like, y'all don't already know this already? Like, really? Like, y'all had to pay to come here? Like, really? I was blown away by how remedial it was at that time. Now, I haven't been to a level one class in a really long time. I'm sure it's better now. But I was blown away with how remedial it was. I went to level two. Level two was dope. It was much more interactive. It was much more, you know, it's a, it's a whole week. Like I learned things at level two. And then eventually I went and got my level three slash IAAF level five. Went, I went through all of it and all of it was a really cool experience. I met great people. I met colleagues that I now call friends. Overall, it was a holistically great experience. It cost a little bit of money, but the money was well spent. What I've met, when I emerged from all of it and I reflect on it, I'm like, I got three degrees, actually I got five if I consider the, the ones that, the certificates that I got from the other system. Like I got five certificates, I got five degrees from coaching and I don't really know what any of them are worth in my profession. Because I assure you, not one time ever on an interview has anybody that wanted to hire me asked me if I was certified in any of that shit. So I don't know, you know, what the the one thing that I would say that they could definitely improve across the board. And this is where I think Altus does a good job with with their programs. They, we do a lot. We do a good job of educating the technical pieces, the science of it. I think if the whole idea in theory is to help educate coaches about their craft and ultimately serve them to become, you know, um, better or more hireable in the profession. I think a a swath of coaching education could go towards professionalism in the sport at whatever level you want to work at and how to, you know, how to get your, your, yourself out there in the profession better. I think they could also do a better job of working with coaches on the psychology of working with young people. I, I don't, I don't remember any part of that really being a strong piece of what I learned at any other place. A lot of X's and O's, a lot of coaching theory to Lucius's point, most definitely could push a, a larger scale of ideas and more diversity of thought for sure. But those would be my two big, hey, add this in there. Help people become better professionals and, and teach more on, the, um, on how to properly men- mentor and influence you know, young, young minds. See, and, and I'm, I'm going to add this, that I think that for me, the greatest coaching education I've ever gotten is on, gotten is on the job training. 
there's nothing that happened in those classrooms that even comes close to what you learn in the trenches. It comes close to, I mean, we've had some pre and post show conversations that could be clinics, right? Okay. Sure. So I think sometimes that, you know, sitting in the right room, paying attention, because at the end of the day, we're all thieves, you know, not like, you know, we, we might have an original idea that was spawned by somebody else's original idea, right? But at the end of the deal, like nobody's reinventing the wheel. And we can't just have this one baseline, this one streamline that says everybody has to do it this way in track and field or you can't coach. Because then we're not going to be very good. Because no other sport does that. And we're not like any other sport. And why would we paint ourselves into that box? So when, and as you said, like I've never interviewed a coach and go, what, what level are you? That's not a thing. And it will never be a thing. That, don't get me wrong. I'm not, nothing against the level guys. I'm not saying I got a problem with level guys. I'm just saying that I don't think anybody gets hired because you have whatever certification. You're going to get hired based on your ability to coach at the NCAA level. Your ability to, that you've shown that you can produce athletes at this level. That's what you get hired for. So I do feel inclined to speak. So pardon Please me do. As, I, as I do, because I was just about to ask you to. So yeah, well, because everything that you're addressing, all three of you have addressed are things that I, I personally am directly um, involved with. So in teaching level ones in teaching level twos in creating coaches collab and being a leveler, um, having being asked so you have a level one, you have a level two, you have a level three, you have IAAF five. And, and that being a point of validation. And so I don't know if that's a gender thing. I don't, I definitely think it's part of the, of the process for, for me personally, because I don't have national status. I don't have regional status. I'm still quote unquote, trying to get those athletes to get those marks. So I don't have to by my, my credibility, it per se. Um, so those questions do get asked to me. And I think that for the mid to lower levels, those are questions that the hiring people do ask to make sure that you at least have a baseline of information, kind of what Clyde was saying earlier, there's a baseline. And so that way you're not just hiring a willy nilly. Um, I will say as a level one educator, it is baffling and, and this is not a dig to anybody who has sat in on a level one that I've taught, because I love every class that I've taught. Um, it is baffling the unknowing that these coaches have, whether they're a mathematics teacher that is just joining at the high school level because they are gonna collect an extra stipend. Uh, if they're a parent who has an athlete that's gonna be track and field oriented and they wanna get better and be able to support. Um, if it's someone who was a track and field athlete, but had the same coach who was un, not knowledgeable um, and they wanna do better for their student athletes, it's, it's a gamut, you know? I've had Chris Bernard, I've had Chuck Enique sit in, I've had, you know, Olympians sit in as well. And then, you know, it reinforces and, and Clyde, I would assume they hold the same status and they're like, you really not know what that, are you serious? You know, and then I have to remember like, you know, being one educator who does do both levels of education, like what classroom I'm sitting in, 
because there are times when you start to progress that information and they're not ready. And it becomes very, very uh, visible in the tiles, specifically now for Zoom, because they're getting all eager and hungry to give that piece of information and you only give a chunk because they're not ready for it, you know? And so um, speaking to all of that in regards to formal education and having joined a, an Altus group at this point, um, as well as the other letters um, in the creation of Coaches Collab, where we sit on tiles and we bring all of the thoughts, all of the base knowledge, all the um, experience and all of the game time experience that you spoke of, Lucius, and apply it, um, I think is starting to build the pieces of wood to create that bridge, to bridge the gap. Um, but it goes way above that as well. You know, the, the, the evolution of what we call quote unquote education isn't traditional education. Like you said, it's the, the, the shadowing of a master coach um, and sometimes it's not because they have the Olympians or the post-collegiate, it's because they've been through more experiences mm -hmm. and they know how to cut an athlete without having the athlete running and complaining to the AD, or they know how to deal with the, the student athletes who have EDs and um, those eating disorders don't trickle through the rest of the team because they know how to deal with it in a correct manner. Um, so there, there's a lot that can, be, I think that can be addressed and, um, I am, I am blessed that I was chosen by whoever, whatever entity it was for, for me to be put in these spaces to teach level one, to teach level two, to have coaches club on, on the internet at this point um, to help push that wheel around a few more times to keep it evolving. So. And, and, I, and I'll say this too, when you talk about the, the, the math teacher, the, the parent, those are the people they need to be there. Yes. You know, kudos to them for being there. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. You have to, those people need a baseline because they have no clue. And I wish more people would stop trying to reinvent the sport. You know, I, I, I remember a guy started a local track club here and he never coached, wasn't a very good athlete. He had never coached a day in his life. I was walking home and he goes, I just want to let you know, you're never going to have to leave Gainesville ever again to get a recruit. That's how good this team is going to be. Mm -hmm. It's very arrogant state, right? Um, and disrespectful in a lot of ways because you just think you know more about track and field than anybody else and you've never coached in your life. And that's a lot, a lot of what's wrong with our sport. So don't get me wrong. I'm not bashing coaches education. I think this is a great idea in a lot of situations. I'd like to see more diversity in it. I'd like to find a way to have people be able to branch out and get more information than just that file cabinet of information that they have because there's a lot of other information out there that I think is very useful to people. Hey, I, I, I like I like Lamar's idea. <clears throat> if if Olympic level coaches have to consistently go through safe sport training, because you know they work with athletes and these are grown, grown, grown people. <laughs> okay. If they have to go through safe sport training, I don't see any reason why junior high and high school coaches shouldn't have to be level one certified. That makes perfect sense to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, yeah. it, it would improve our sport on the whole. Absolutely. Yes. It would. Yes. It would. Yeah. Because, because being who we are as track coaches, they're gonna take that information. If you've got 
50 people to get that information out of that, those 50 people, you're gonna have 50 different ways of implement, implementing that wherever they coach. So I think that gets the conversation started. And I just, again, it's, it's about people buying in to what they're capable of doing and then, then mastering their craft off of that. The problem is you get a guy or a male or a female coach out there, they have one good athlete. I got to figure it out now. I don't need to bother me anymore. You know? So get them a YouTube channel. <laughs> I'm done. An See? Instagram page. <laughs> See? See? See what you did? See what I'm you did? Done. Don't spark me. I'm yeah. trying to be good. Thank, thank, thank you. Thank you, Clyde. Yeah. Trying to be good. We went through this last week, Clyde. Stop it. My bad, Chew. Go ahead. What's next, Chew? What's yeah, next? Because you are acting up again. <laughs> okay. All right. So we're we're back to our metal predictions. Let's rub or let's flip that magic eight ball and let's talk about the metal predictions for the women's short hurdles, sprint hurdles, one hundreds. What are we thinking? Uh -huh. Since, since I have no dog in this fight for the first time in a while, um, I'm going to go ahead and, and make this. The women's sprint hurdles is the most brutal event in the sport right now. And damn getting a medal, making the American team is ridiculous. There will be three to five women at home who, if they would have been able to navigate the gauntlet, could have and should have come back with a medal. And if we want to get deeper into this, we can talk about who we're going to put on the American team. But the question is who comes back with the medals? <laughs> so comes back with the medals to me right now. And this is this has little to do with with what I think of these uh, women as athletes or what I think about their coaches or anything like that. I this honestly this this race when it's that tight and everybody's that good and it's such a dogfight, to me, it, it comes down to a special type of mentality. And on that, I got Nia Ali coming home with the gold. I got Danielle Williams coming home with the silver. And I got Brianna Rollins coming back with the bronze. Those are the women whose mentalities I trust when the chips are down right now. And those are the people that I would predict come back with the medals. Brianna McNeil. McNeil, I, I listen. When she busted on scene, it was Rollins, and I can't never get Rollins out my brain. Brianna McNeil, <laughs> Neil, she's married. I apologize, McNeil. And that man, that woman's husband calling you, man. Use my wife, right? right? <laughs> this mother effer. <laughs> See now you're rubbing uh, off on you, Lamar. God, dog. What, Lamar? <laughs> <laughs> You like how I slid that on you? Trying to who saw after all this Clemson <laughs> stuff. I ain't said nothing. <laughs> oh, I forgot to slide that you like way. Would you like no, to go, Lucius? It doesn't matter, dog. Go ahead. I, you tell me. I'll go if you want me to go. Look, like, to, to Clyde's point, like, okay, I could name 10 female hurdlers, put them in a hat, pull out three, and I have a really good shot. Yep. <laughs> I also have a really good shot of none of the names I'm pulling out making the U.S. team. So, yeah. <laughs> with with that said, I I am going to 
go with my gut today and I'm going to say that uh, Miss Williams is going to medal and be a bronze medalist. I want to make this prediction, but I also know what making this prediction means that I think of someone else, but I'm still going to do it. I'm going to say that Miss Ali is going to win the silver medal. And there is probably nothing but an act of God that convinced me that anybody's going to win besides uh, Brianna, because I'm not going to mess that up <laughs> for the gold medal until I see someone beat her when she's healthy. I'm not buying it. So I'm going to say that McNeil is going to win the gold medal because I don't think that anybody beats her when she shows up ready to play. Okay. Well, now I will know, also say that I, I could have all that wrong. <laughs> yeah, we all probably will. <laughs> right? um, you know, so just to be a little different, why not? Hey, um, you know, I saw some special things out of a couple people last year. Um, I saw some special things on the flat out of uh, Brianna McNeil, Mrs. McNeil. I saw some special things on the flat out of one Miss uh, Miss Harrison as well. Um, you know, it's hard to bet against Lee in a big race when she's ready, but I'm betting against her. Okay, but I'm gonna call for a U.S. sweep. That's what I'm calling for. I'm gonna go Kenny, Bry, Nia for the bronze, Daniel, nipping at their heels. So you got Kenny winning it? Absolutely. Oh, I I I love that. And she is the world record holder. It's time. No, I I, I, I wasn't being facetious when I said is, I love that. Listen, I know. it is absolutely it's her time. turn. It yes. is her turn to get it, it done. It is. Absolutely. Now, understand something. Danielle's going to mess this all up. <laughs> yes. Danielle's going to yes. mess this up. Right. But, you know, but just to be contrary to what you guys said, that's my prediction. But Danielle's sitting somewhere going, okay, Coach Holloway, whatever. <laughs> okay, so so here's so here's the crazy part. I think indirectly, which I would have never guessed, all three of us just agreed on who the U.S. team actually is then, because we yeah. both had Nia and Bri getting medals, and Lucius was the first one to, to speak of Miss Harrison's name. I don't think there's any world that exists where she doesn't make that roster. So, in the hardest field to make, we chose the same three women to make the field. So, so what happens Very to people like, like what, what happens if Nelvis gets her act together? What happens if Manning gets her act together? I, I know I'm Nelvis, missing something. Sharika Nelvis can break the world record. She's exactly. that good. Like, exactly. she right. really is that good. Exactly. Right. See, I've always thought that she was the best one. Always. You ain't going to get an argument out of me on talent. No. You're not exactly. going to get an argument talent, out of me. Talent-wise, yeah. Not going to get an argument out of me. I've always thought she was the best one. It, it, it it's a ridiculous ridiculous bloodbath of a field oh and absolutely I, sure you, I, I miss coaching in it i absolutely miss it but i don't miss the stress i'm good to watch i'm happy to watch right now i'm good with that see i yeah. see i love i love that moment absolutely love it i mean i i go back to my first olympic trials in, in, with dennis in 92 i mean i just Man, there's, no, there's nothing like being in the heat of the battle in a men's 100 meters. 
nothing. Are you, but are you telling, are you telling me like, I love the process myself, but are you telling me when you are either in the back watching the race on TV or in the stands watching the gun live, you like that moment? Absolutely love it. Hate every second of it. <laughs> but every, hate every but second. I, but say this though, I will say this. As brutal as the men's hundred always is, still not as bad as the women's hundred hurdles. Oh no, nothing is. And it's no, big, I mean, I'm like, not. I'm not. You can I mean, have this, the best this, dog in the fight, and, that, and was, that dog not make the team. This wasn't a comparison. I'm just telling you that when I that was my first experience, and I I have loved it from that day. F- and, and forward. I mean, I, I live for those moments. Absolutely live for them. I, you know, my athletes will tell you, like, I'm the hypest guy in the room at that. You, like, you people that aren't, aren't close to me don't know that. I'll never let that out to the rest of the world. But if, <laughs> when you see me walk around whispering to people, oh, we're getting it done. There's no better place. <laughs> there's no better place than Olympic trials backstage in the tent. Absolutely. Everybody standing around watching their work exactly. come to fruition. But that five second window between runners to your marks, nah. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good when they're walking out. I'm good when the race is being run. But that but you, but, but marks, you, I'm, I'm sick. I want to throw up. <laughs> this is how bad I am during that period of time. This, 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 that's a true story. I've been known to take a nap while they're going out to the line. Do it all the time. <laughs> Look, my, my, my job's done. Nothing else I can do now. Right. I, I want I want to share one one thing kind of behind the curtain for for most of our viewership. We all know this. Um, actually, I don't know if Chu knows this, but the three of us do know this. At the very very highest level of our sport, this is only the case in the sprints. But at the very highest level of our sport, the coaches are almost never in the stadium when it happens. No, no, no. All of the work gets done behind the curtain. And then what you get to do is go stand usually on the track and watch a television and watch your life's work on your life's relationship with this athlete play out basically like a fan. And I, I don't think that most people in the world know that. But oh, yeah. I've, I've stood next to both of you on different occasions watching either a world championship or Olympic final, and we watched it on television. We, you know, we're, we're in a foreign country and everybody thinks, well, you know, you do all these things and then you go in the stands and, and you're like, no, no. You, you, on the, you watch it on TV basically like everybody else. And it's yeah. a very interesting thing. And I, I, I wanted to share that with the rest of the world who doesn't really know this, that, you know, when they talk about being a coach, being a thankless job, like there's a perfect example. Oh, it, it's listen. It's wild back there. It's wild. <laughs> it's really wild if you're if you're a coach of other events, right? But you're standing there with coaches watching it because somebody, some three people, are excited and over the top and usually high fives. And if you're smart enough to turn away from those coaches and look at the other side, remember they're all standing around the same television. Yes. There are there are five coaches usually who feel like someone just gutted them and it is it's a visceral experience that unfortunately you have to be a really really good coach or a really really good athlete to be there to see these things because you got to have like 
You got to have yeah. all kinds of credentials to get back there to watch yeah. that television. Yeah. And a lot of places, there'll be like three or four televisions back there. But remember like in Paris, was it was just the one big screen everybody stood in front of? Uh, oh, in London too. Yeah, exactly. We all yeah. watched the same screen in London. Exactly. Yeah. Indoor world champs, there was one good screen you could get to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like we was all like this. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was terrible. The, the funniest part is being a coach of the, of, of the multis, right? Of the combined events. And you both know this, like people just, all of your elite coaching friends, they, they walk by you when they see you like, how's it going? Everything okay? And then, because they're on the way to go do, you know, go coach somebody or warm somebody up or take somebody back or whatever. And they know that you're, you're in it for two straight days. <laughs> so they just, they're like, everything okay? Good, what event, what event are we on? Because nobody <laughs> ever knows. That's right. Oh God, it's so fun. Wow, wow. I love it. I love how those predictions just went on to a tangent that is so applicable and so much of what we are just talking about in the coach's education. So love how that just intertwined itself. Good job, gentlemen, before you even knew it, you did it. Um, so wrapping up the formalities, we are going to put Mr. Lamar on the hot seat and give him some hopefully more rapid, more rapid speed fire than last week. <laughs> last week was the conversation. Nothing rapid fire about that. I apologize. I'll do better next time. I'll do better. <laughs> it was my question, though, and then I got lost. She set you up for that. It was most yeah, she did. I was like, but and I and I just I just oh yeah, I'll go with this. That's much easier than rapid fire. So. <laughs> oh man, oh man. All right. So Mr. Lamar, are you good? I am good. All right. Uh, your favorite dish at Thanksgiving? Um, seafood mac and cheese. Got it. Got it. Uh, favorite city that you've lived in? Whew. You know, I can't make it a tie. No. You can lie if you like. <laughs> My favorite city that I've lived in, I'm going to honestly have to say Oakland, California, because I was too young to appreciate my love affair with New York City. Got it. Um, favorite Olympic sport, not track and field. Uh-oh. Oh, that's easy. <laughs> Men's water polo. Hands down, easy. Interesting. Um, fun one, hot Cheetos or Funyuns? Funyuns. <laughs> right? Do they even make Funyuns anymore? I love they Funyuns. Do. They, do. they do. Yo, I had some like two weeks ago. None of us should be eating them, but they do. No. I was gonna say, yeah, <laughs> definitely. I, I only ate them because of what you said. Like, do they still make them? I was like, oh, they make these? So I had them. <laughs> so you okay. might twisted your arm, I know, yeah. I know, right? I mean, gas, they were there as an available snack. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jordan's one, four, or 11? Four, got it. I actually just told my son that I think that I'm only going to be a Jordan four guy. Interesting, interesting. I won a dunk uh, contest in a pair of fours and I, I just, I love them. Okay, so that just says how old you are. No one dunks in fours anymore, okay, sir? We aren't creasing toes around here. <laughs> anyway. Last question. Um, barring no COVID, 
where would you be on vacation right now? Uh, money not like on my budget or on any budget. Let's give on, you a on limitless Lucius's budget. budget. On Lucius. Oh, on Lucius's budget? <laughs> on, on Lucius's budget. Hey, Lucius is on a budget, not my money. Gold Coast, Australia. Say that one more time. Yeah, on on Lucius's on Lucius's budget, I would be in Gold Coast, Australia. Uh, on on my budget, uh, a three day weekend in San Diego or Hawaii. Got it. All right. Well, you survived. That was faster. That was a two second PR. <laughs> Sweet. Meanest fashion you've ever done in your life. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right. So let's, let's end the evening with uh, a little bit of gratitude, a little bit of hopefully not too much emotion. <laughs> uh, let's get to our heartbeat props. Um, does anybody have the itch to go first? <clears throat> I mean, I'll go, go first. Me too. I got it. I'll get it. Um, so I want to this is not backhanded. It's going to sound backhanded, but I, it's not. Um, the coaching staff that I would had the pleasure of working with uh, at one of the high schools um, while I was still in California taught me a very valuable lesson, and I hold it dear to my heart to this day. Um, it's not about when we're going through a season. It's not about winning the day. It's about winning the season and knowing what the objective is and staying on the course. Um, and at that point, I think I was, I was still, I mean, younger, I probably in my fifth year of coaching and uh, having worked with these student athletes, I was able to know when they were really hurt, when they were just being lazy, uh, you know, knowing when to protect them, knowing when they had to be pushed a little bit and whatnot. Um, but I actually let myself get bullied in the four by one. And I tried to speak up and I said, you know, you know, this young man, he's borderline hurt. He's gonna hurt himself. We just need to make it to sections. We don't need him in right now. Give him another week, we'll, we'll run at sections. And um, another coach on staff was like, no, we gotta win. Well, we all know the end of that story. He pulls up hurts himself on the third leg, doesn't finish the race. In a, valid, uh, a valiant attempt, he tries to throw the baton to the fourth leg, um, almost catches it, but still not valid. Uh, and then that was that. And so we didn't get to go to sectionals, even though we had the fastest seed time out of our conference or out of our league. So um, as background as it may, may sound, I am appreciative of that very moment because I needed to feel that. I needed to experience the fact that I did not speak up and that I knew better than that. And so to this day, I do not back down from an intuition, a feeling, a gut feeling I have. And even if I get overruled, you know, as, as a measly assistant, um, even if I get overruled, I know I have to speak up and I have to be heard. And that is something that um, I remind myself of every day, dealing with our student athletes, that we have to speak up in order to, um, protect ourselves and protect them. And so for that, I, I am appreciative of that staff for showing me the value in that. So I will not 
announce that stuff <laughs> so that I don't get hate mail after this, but I appreciate you. I truly do. Um, I'll, I'll jump in and go next. Um, okay. My heartbeat props tonight go out to HBCU World. Um, HBCU World is a very important fabric of our educational history in this country. And fortunately for me, my career path led me to an opportunity to work in that system. Um, my time at Alabama State has had a profound effect on me. Um, I love those kids. I love Richie Bean, who was my boss. And the, the culture that I got to experience having been you know, a West Coast kid who went to two different PWIs like I learned a lot of things there um, and, and I wouldn't trade any of that time, you know, for the world. But, you know, it, this week in, in America got me thinking about that time that I spent there and, and what it meant to me and how it served me moving forward. And I just, you know, I, I saw something brilliant on the internet that I wanted to, to, to speak to. The HBCU world, as far as collegiate athletics, takes a lot of flack and a lot of you know vitriol and they have a lot of problems and a lot of that criticism is very relevant but it doesn't change the fact of what these institutions mean to the fabric of this country and this is what i saw on the internet a black woman from spelman helped get out the vote in a city run by a black woman from fam you to push a ticket with a black woman from howard over the top Thank you, Black women, and thank you, HBCUs. And I am glad that I changed my mind because I was going to do that. And I'm glad I changed my mind. I've, yeah, wow. So I'll go next. And um, I'm, I'm going to, my heart be props, and people that know me well know that I have six brothers. Uh, Four of them, we have the, uh, three of them, we have the same dad. Another one of them, we just, I have the same mom. And then two of them, I have the same mom and dad. And unfortunately, one of my brothers passed away about four, uh, five years ago. But for my five um, brothers that are alive, I just, my heartbeat props go to them. That would be Jacob, um, Gene, Ernest, Kenny, and Larry, because they, they pushed me, they pulled me, they shaped me, they mold me, molded me, they challenged me to be a man. Um, my older brothers challenged me daily to, as they would say, uphold the Holloway name and never have, never either let myself or anybody else disrespect it. Um, and more importantly, they taught me the value of family and that we should always look after and take up, take care of one another and everybody involved in our family. So my heartbeat prophecies um, today go out to my five, my five brothers. <laughs> I don't want to go. Um, I don't want to go because I hate. I hate this topic. I hate. I hate why this person has been so heavy on my mind. But uh, my heartbeat props go to one of my very, very dear friends who I believe watches the show. Um, 
I am 100% sure that he has a whole lot of other things on his mind right now, like his wonderful daughters and his incredible wife. Um, and this is somebody that I, I, I was on a staff with, somebody who, who taught me probably way more things than he realizes. Um, little sayings like, so-and-so couldn't run out of sight in a day. Uh, I learned patience from this individual because uh, he always comes to thing at his things at his own speed. Um, he doesn't really trust anybody initially, but if you give him time and you have consistent behavior, he'll probably trust you more than you'll ever know. Um, and uh, my heartbeat props go out to, to one Mr. Marvin Gibson, who uh, is currently on the staff and was affected by this nonsense at, at Clemson, and who as a person and as a coach doesn't deserve this sort of ambiguity and nonsense in their lives whatsoever. Um, but before the true turmoil really hits, I want to make sure that I try to put some level of joy in his day because I, I want him to know and I want to say publicly that, you know, look, I consider Marvin Gibson one of my brothers, uh, somebody who I, I learn from, I love deeply, I've shared cigars with, we've, we've cried a time or two, uh, whose children, I, I, they are my nieces. And... Um, Somebody who I hope that, you know, they, this setback is definitely a setup for a major comeback that, that should never have had to happen. But, you know, a lot of times people, they go into college as a high-level athlete and think they're going to be a high-level athlete. And then when that doesn't turn out, they turn their back on the sport and go do other things. And, you know, if you ever ask Marvin, if you're close enough to get to him, to talk to him, he'll tell you, he thought he was really good until he got to LSU and just realized he just wasn't as good as other people, you know, and, and he taught me a phrase about you can't, uh, oh God, I always mess this up. You can't hoot with the owls and then soar with the eagles. <laughs> and he will tell you that he, he, he enjoyed college too much and therefore didn't, didn't produce the way he should have as a collegiate athlete. But also at the end of the day, he was teammate. But he's one hell of a gifted coach, and and unlike a lot of people, he paid a, a long, long line of dues as a volunteer, uh, and and finally got his shot and took it and has done nothing but run with it. Um, and, and at the end of the day, I, I just want to say. To my brother, Mr. Marvin Gibson, um, I, I love you like a play cousin. Um, hug them girls for me. And God has a much, 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 much better plan for you than what is currently laid before you. Well, well, well said, sir. Marvin Gibson is, is one of the genuinely great people in this business. Outstanding really. human as well as an outstanding coach. Absolutely on both of those. Uh, 
Thanks for ending it on such a yeah, that is a great note. That's not it. This isn't that kind of that is a great note to end the show on. Uh, I think like like everyone's saying, anyone who knows Marvin or has even come in contact, I've only been in contact with him a handful of times. But he just he has a great beat and a great person and you know, just when he smiles and shakes your hand, you feel good. So um You got a little negative going on. Got it. How about now? You can repeat crystal. You can repeat that or just exit on out. Because yeah, nobody right. heard well, anything you said. It was thanks, Marvin. Thanks, thanks for being you. We love your smile. Thanks for your all of your heart. So um, gentlemen, 32 in the books, 32 in the books, and we're still going strong. So uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you all for listening, watching, however you're taking all of us, our voices in. Um, and like we said, we showed this earlier in the episode. Um, if you see us saying something wrong, if you hear us saying something wrong, don't be afraid to hold us accountable for what we say. So um, without further ado, gentlemen, have a great evening. Enjoy your weeks. And until next time, we'll see you soon. Happy Veterans Day, Big Huff. When the lights come on, the road just get to running. When the lights come on, the opponents smash the plumbing. Would you like it warm, hot, knife the butter? Truth pin them hard, knock them off that rebuttal. Tsunami, tidal wave to your puddle. Tough love punch you in the arms, little brothers. Athletics double, I'll see it, there's no others. Track and field's pace, and we'll peel to go further. Hey, Wiley, Coyote, it's Roadrunners. Feels like you know us, you've been with us the whole summer. If not for this quarantine, these four corners wouldn't be here, but we're here, so start learning. You gotta earn your stripes, gotta get your scars. Show you how to fight, but show us who you are. You lack experience, but still you wanna talk. And who is that you're talking to? Your circle's kinda small. Heads prevail when the backbone's strong. Gotta keep it coming, no, won't last long. Pass a failed and sell the sad song. And if you don't check yourself, then that's wrong. Just trying to give you the real that you asked for. So why you keep cutting us off to ask more? We put it in slow mo, but you fast forward. Athletics, devil, I'll see the task force.